Well, hi, everybody, and welcome to this special edition of Wisdom from the Rock here on AM 1260, The Rock, Cleveland Catholic Radio. I'm Dick Russ, but much more importantly are the guests who are with me in the studio today. Uh, they're members of the Culture Project. We have five of them surrounding our, our table here in the studio, and uh, we, we're, what we're going to do is refresh ourselves about what the Culture Project is. Young people recently out of college who come to a local community, uh, join with Catholic parishes and with uh, schools and so on to help spread a, a special message to uh, uh, teens, young adults, and uh, uh, even, even down into the uh, upper levels of, of grade schools about certain subjects that are very important. So before we get started and, and learn more and uh, remember what we knew in the past about the Culture Project. Let's go around the table and have each of our folks uh, introduce themselves and just tell very briefly for a few seconds uh, about yourself, where you're from, where you went to school, and then we'll take it from there. Just start to my right. All right. Hi, everybody. My name is Andrea Rodriguez. I'm from Southern California, but I consider myself a Midwestern girl at heart. And um, how's that, Andrea? I don't know. Ohio has just stolen my heart. First, I was living now in Steubenville, then Toledo, and now Cleveland. I got to say, though, Cleveland's the best out of all the places I've been so far. Um, and yeah, just loving the culture project so far. Um, yeah, excited to be here. All right. Maddie, why don't we hear from you? Yeah. Hi, everyone. My name is Maddie Van Hout. I am originally from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I just graduated from Franciscan University of Steubenville in May. So we're two for two for Franciscan so yeah, far. Yeah, two That's for two right. so far. Um, and yeah, I have loved being in Ohio. I studied marketing in my undergrad. Um, and so Culture Project has been amazing, which is giving all the talks, really reaching out and growing my Catholic faith and really helping me out with incorporating the faith, but also those marketing techniques that I really want to grow in. Okay, Clevelanders, here's our Texas Rangers fan, right? <laughs> Hello, Claudia. everyone. I am originally from Tyler, Texas. I studied human resources from the University of Texas at Tyler, and I have just loved my time at the Culture Project so far. I have grown tremendously in my faith and have met some of the most incredible people. Um, so, yeah, it's been amazing so far. Welcome, Claudia. Thank you. All right, keeping going around the table here. Hi, my name is Christopher Novinsky. I'm originally from Irving, Texas. If you don't know where that is, it's near Dallas. A lot of people don't. Uh, I've studied art at the University of North Texas up in Denton and just like to work with my hands and encountered the Culture Project at a conference and just really fell in love with how authentic and free everyone is and just want to share that message with everyone that we encounter. Beautiful. And uh, Michael, you're back with us again. I know you were here with us um, a year ago or so, a year or two, maybe maybe uh, more. When, when was that? You, you've been with the Culture Project uh, a little longer than most, right? It's true. This is my second year it's with Michael the Culture Sobis, Project. Right? Yes, Michael Sobis, and I'm originally from South Carolina. Uh, but yes, this is my second year. I'm returning as the assistant team lead here in uh, Cleveland, helping out Andrea Rodriguez, our team leader this year and uh, decided to return to continue help spreading the message and was reassigned to Cleveland, which I was very happy about. So since you have the mic, Mike, what is the message of the Culture Project? Uh, give us the uh, real quick overview. Sure, what I like to tell the parents is all you have to remember is the IRS and not the you know tax service that we all know and love coming up here in April, uh, but IRS identity, relationships, and sexuality. 
and there's a lot of questions surrounding those three topics for our teens today. And we try to go into middle schools, high schools, youth groups, confirmation retreats, anywhere we are invited, we'll go and spread this message on what it means to authentically live out these three areas of our lives according to our faith. Andrea, these are three things that I, I just got to say from observing people, being with them, being a father, a grandfather, a person in the community, all that kind of thing. Kids really struggle with these three things that Michael just mentioned. How would you say that those three items have resonated with you as something that people need? I think that just growing up in this society, you can see that teens are just being thrown so many different mixed messages about who they are, how they should relate to each other, um, and how their sexuality comes into play with that. Um, and all of the messages that the culture is giving them, for the most part, are not helpful. They're really just bringing them into like deeper loneliness, more suffering, you know, just keeping them stuck behind a screen by themselves. And that's where we want to come in and kind of speak some truth into that, not just with, you know, common sense things of like exercise, like don't stay behind the screen, but bringing really the gospel into all those parts of their lives and how that can apply to who they are, you know, just as like 12-year-olds, 18-year-olds yeah. and such. That's hard to do, guys. Everybody's, you know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like from age eight now, eight or nine, you're stuck behind the screen. Even adults, I mean, it kind of get like gets into you and you just, you're, you're almost addicted. Um, I mean, how, how do you kind of even start getting through on that, huh? I think most of us, especially the younger generations, grew up with iPads or iPods, but we always had technology at our fingertips, which is something that's fairly new to no generation before us. Um, we are seeing social media just take off, and we are also at the same time seeing anxiety levels and depression levels increasing because we are constantly comparing our lives to the lives of other people, which on social media, they only ever post the perfect picture or only the happy moments. Yep. And it can be so unhealthy for young people today to just grow up spending seven to nine hours on their phone viewing perfect people's lives. It doesn't have, it doesn't have uh, a good impact on them at all. It affects their mental health tremendously and it affects their relationships because they're spending their time on technology and not socializing with other people. So Maddie, how do you, like, how do you start getting through on that? We know it's addictive and it, when you're struggling with identity and I don't know, you're 13, 14, 18, whatever you are. It's, it's like, it's kind of kind of tough to see the world in, in the way that you folks are painting the picture. Actually, our favorite talk that we give, or my favorite talk is the social media talk. And it's because it does so well with getting the kids to realize that if they're spending up to nine hours a day on their phone, at like the end of their life, that adds up to 30 years of your life. Yikes. And so really telling them like, what, do you want to do like if you have these 30 years where you can find a goal a dream something that you really want to achieve like what can you do in those 30 years rather than being on their phones and I really challenge them to think of like what gets you hooked on your phone you know a lot of us will go to YouTube to yep. watch other people living out your dream so examples I give them are like 
if you are an athlete and you're watching all of these videos of athletes doing these amazing things and being so good at their chosen sport, why are you watching other people do that when you could be going out, practicing, and living that out yourself? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Christopher, you mentioned that you, you're, you're an artist, you work with your hands, you're a sculptor, right? Yes, sir. I, that's pretty cool. You know, I, I, I don't know that I've met a handful of sculptors in my whole life. And I just, uh, when you think about things that last and that mankind has done almost from antiquity, that's, that's one of those things, you mm-hmm. know, making those things with your hands. How does that calling and that vision that's inside of you translate to working with young people in the culture project? Uh, I, I wonder how that kind of, kind of clicks and relates. Honestly, being in, um, I would say, a very secular university, I went to a very large public school. Mm-hmm. And so being a faithful Catholic in an art building was kind of challenging because it felt like I was kind of under attack every day. And so it's not only did I have to be rooted in my own identity, but I was looking around at everyone else trying to communi- communicate their own identity through the work that they would create. And that would determine how they felt. And so that's really what I see in the world today is that there's just a loss of identity. People forget who they are. And that's really something that's kind of drawn me into this kind of work is just reminding people who they are. Um, And that even includes myself on a day-to-day basis. Um, But as an artist, just getting to see the beauty in the physical creation, like being a creator created by the creator, um, you know, it's allowed me to take a step back and use my artistic vision to really look at the inner linings of the human heart, especially my own and my teammates here. Uh, to basically just encounter people in a different place. So especially where they are, because we all start somewhere, whether, you know, I start whittling with a stick and working up to large wooden sculptures or, you know, things installed in a city. So, yeah, that's kind of where I've come from. So the the Culture Project, you're a team. There's five of you, and you reside in... uh locally here it's at assumption parish right good friends of ours right right down the street kind of what's a day like for someone who's involved with the culture project we're going to get to like how you were called you believe you were called to this but you know for somebody listening uh you're all in your early 20s like what do you do all day How, how does that work yeah that's a great question we have a commitment to go to daily mass every single day even on our days off um as well as the daily holy hour Life will look a little different for each team, but for instance, for us, we might begin our day at 8.30 Mass here at Assumption. Um, We'll go home, we'll cook up up a little breakfast, then maybe we'll have Holy Hour, um, where we spend an hour with our um, sacramented Lord. Maybe then a a couple of us will head off to a talk, maybe at a parish or at a school. Um, the rest of us will do a little bit of office work because we do um, keep up with our mission partners. In other cities? Yes. Yes. So how many cities are you in about? The Culture Project is in five cities right now. Okay. And we are in Philly, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Toledo, and Omaha, Nebraska. Okay. Omaha being our newest location. Right. Yeah, they have a great JP2 center there at the, at the university. Oh, wow. I've been there a couple times. Yeah. Yeah. So then we'll keep in touch with um, our mission partners, the ones that um, help us support raise our salary um, from back home, from all over the country. So a great way to let them know what's going on with the mission. A big part of being a culture project missionary is also our formation. So, for instance, here we have Maddie. She's our formation lead. Um, She'll find something for us to kind of just continue to enrich ourselves in 
the gospel, who we are while we're here, um, cut it to recharge our batteries when we go back out to speak to the teens. And a big part of Culture Project is also community. So the five of us spent a lot of intentional time just getting to know each other, becoming kind of, you might say, like a little family, because this kind of work is really only possible when you know the person next to you is someone that loves you, that has your back, and that, that can be trusted, someone who wants to see you succeed and who really lives the mission of upholding human dignity at all hours of the day, especially when it comes to the people closest to you. So that's kind of what a typical day looks like. Sometimes we might have meetings, fun things might happen, we might get invited to something with the diocese. So there's a lot that can happen in a day, but for the most part, a given is that we will do some sort of outreach with the teens, holy hour, and uh, mass. So Michael, somebody wants to find out about, about the culture project. And you, you say you, you go into schools, parishes, youth groups, whatever it happens to be. How does that work? And then when you actually go and one of you go there, what happens? Yeah, so most of our promotion happens through the diocese that we're in. So we form a contract or an agreement with the diocese, like the Diocese of Cleveland, mm -hmm. where uh, we work out housing, we work out how we're going to live in the diocese and be there for however many years. And then uh, the diocese helps promote us. And then additionally, we have a scheduling team that works with the different schools and parishes that are interested in bringing us in. So uh, it's all through our website, uh, thecultureproject.org. And we accept any group or organization that's going to be interested in our message, uh, especially our messages of human dignity. And um, a lot of that we take from Pope St. John Paul II's messages on human dignity. There's uh, his speech to the communist-occupied Poland uh, that says, you're not who they say that you are. Let me remind you who you are. And he knew that just one message of reminding the people of communist Poland of who they were created in God's image and likeness of the dignity that they possessed would change the entire culture. So when we're reaching out to these students, these parents, even our mission partners, all of this is for a message of hope for them, of healing of their self-perception of the dignity they have being made in God's image and how that affects every aspect of their lives. So you go somewhere, Is the, uh, the message has got to be then tailored to the, to the age, right, of, of who it is. Maddie, like what is the lowest age range and then what would be a typical, like a presentation? Do you have four different levels, two, three, you know, because you might have like upper grade school kids and then all the way to folks your age. Yeah, so in Cleveland, typically we'll go to middle school, so 6th through 8th grade. 6th um, through 8th, you say? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, typically in Cleveland. Uh, Culture Project in general oh. will go anywhere between 6th sixth, sixth grade to high school, so 12th grade. And we do have three talks. Actually, we've just added a fourth. So we have the human dignity talk, which we like to start out with, and then social media, which will lead into sexual integrity, and then lastly, the one we just added is the pro-life apologetics talk. Mm -hmm. And so all of these talks are pretty standard no matter what age group we're with, um, but we're able to put our own personal spins on it. And just knowing the age group, we know whether to share more 
or to share less about our stories and anything that we might incorporate into our talks. So how long does a, a talk last? Like, what, what does that look like? You walk in there and you go, hey, guys, I, you know, because people are going to be listening and say, I might be interested in, in looking into this. A talk will roughly last around 50 minutes or 45 minutes. And we can cater the talk depending on how long the class periods are. Oftentimes, class periods will be 45 minutes, so we can shorten the talk so that we make sure that we have time for questions and answers. But we always try to at least have 15 minutes for Q&A afterwards so that the students are able to like ask all the questions that have probably been sitting in their minds during the presentation that I'm sure inspired lots of questions. So. And, and you said you have uh, three, now four talks. So what do you do? You go once, like you, you do the first talk and come back the next week and the next week. How does, how does that work? We typically love giving the human dignity talk first right. because that lays the foundation for all of the other talk system off of. Once you understand that your life has immeasurable value and worth and that God created you and made you in his image and likeness, then we can talk about social media and how social media can stain the view that we have on ourselves and of other people. And then from there, we can also go into sexual integrity and what it means to actually love someone and to view them as a gift and what chastity means. Uh, so that's the order that we like to give them in. Mm -hmm. And that's not always the case. Sometimes a school will bring us in only for the social media or only for the okay. sexual integrity and things like that. Okay. Mm -hmm. and, and if you do the whole package, it's uh, like one week after another? Typically, Same yes. person so they know you and... We like to send those same missionaries back to the schools just so that they develop somewhat of a relationship with the students. But it varies. Sometimes they'll have us do it back to back to backs, or sometimes they'll have us come back in a month or maybe the next week. Mm -hmm. So it just depends on the school and how they schedule us. Yeah, Christopher, you mentioned that you went to secular university, as did I as, a, as an undergrad, but that's 50 years ago some is so different than today. I mean, it's, it's almost... Uh, unrecognizable, I think, the pressures. You might have been a Catholic guy 50-some years ago on campus, and it's like, okay, that's cool. You're, you're Catholic. Uh, I'm a Buddhist. He's an atheist, whatever. You know, it didn't, it didn't have uh, th th that great stigma, perhaps, as it does today because there are certain things in the culture which, which kind of single you out. You know, you're one of those crazy Christians. And I'm wondering what sense you get when you go into classrooms about how do you feel that uh, young people today feel about being Catholic? Is, is Catholic part of their identity like it really used to be a couple of generations ago that you identified, yeah, I'm a Catholic. Does it ring like that anymore? You know, not, not really. Yeah. I think it's actually very controversial. Um, and a lot of people actually probably forget that it's actually really cool to be Catholic. Yeah. Um, there are so many beautiful things about the faith, like the fact that we actually we get to receive Jesus in his body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Eucharist. Yeah. There isn't any other religion that does that, to my knowledge. <laughs> but mm, nope. like, so just experiencing that, the, that beauty, um, just having that connection, that opportunity to grow so close with someone who loves us so much, you know, to the point of death, death on a cross, people really just want to have control. And they look at the lens that Catholicism, a, a life of a beautiful faith, is taking away their freedom. Freedom, yeah. That, that it's restrictive, rules yeah. and all this kind of thing. Yeah. But it's really just setting us up for the fullest life that we could ever want. What a, what a tough challenge, huh? How, how have you found that? Uh, you know, just kind of getting that message across. Obviously, 
you are fully committed to that. And how do you kind of transmit that from yourself to, to these folks that are out there listening to, to a message they might not have heard so much before? Yeah, well, I think something that's helpful is that most of us are pretty young, you know, um, early 20s. So it's easy for us to kind of think back to what our mindset was um, when we when we were the age of the teens that we're speaking to. So like, what yeah. were my questions when I was 12? And I just think that I wanted things to be rational. I wanted things to make sense. Um, so being a philosophy major, for instance, for me, um, a lot of my talks and what I share with the teens is just that the gospel is again, not just a set of rules because God wants you to do this this way, um, but because it makes sense. From a rational point of view, living out the gospel is the way to be most successful and to ensure um, that you have peace and happiness in your life. Um, and just showing them that through common sense and then bringing in the fact that we live in a world where that we don't just have um, rational thought, but grace, and that there are just such graces and gifts that are given to us when we choose to allow um, the Holy Spirit to work in our lives that way, but that it always makes sense that from a philosophical point of view, there are answers to the questions that teens might have, and that there is a reason for this, that Catholicism is tried and true, and not that it's just something that people follow blindly. Yeah. Michael mentioned St. Pope John Paul the Great, who kind of wrote the book recently about faith and reason. And I wonder, ladies, when you present to kids, I, I, I you know, one thing we, we know, even though we may be older, is that um, people today cannot reconcile. They think faith and, and reason, faith and fact are two different things. But if you take the time, you can see that they're part of a whole. They're, they're two different aspects. And it's not an easy thing, but you're right. And kids looking like, well, you know, science is against faith. And this uh, fantasy doesn't comport with what my experience is. How do you, when you go in there and, and, and talk to younger uh, folks younger than you about, hey, listen, faith is a factor and faith is not opposed to the things that you see and want to understand. It's kind of a, a tough thing to explain, but you're right. That's what the kids are asking. I want answers. I want clarity. How, does, how do you kind of get in there and let them know that faith can be an avenue to some of these things that they're looking for in terms of chastity, identity, all this stuff that kids are confused about today? I think a lot of it is just through our testimonies. Because if you go in to speak to teenagers, they want someone who's authentic. They don't want just another story that isn't true or people who are coming in who are there just because they have to be there. Right, so Maddie, uh, what is that message from you then? What's your experience in that regard? A big part of my testimony is learning, especially throughout college, what it meant to have a group of women who taught me what it was to be loved, taught me what it was to see myself as a gift, and then through seeing myself as a gift, to see others as a gift. You truly have to know your identity and who you are rooted in Christ before you can see that in anyone else. And so really going through my testimony of having relationships in college that were toxic, that weren't good for me, that did not help my mental health, 
And having that women's community that came and picked me up and really taught me what it was to be a true, authentic Mm. woman living the Catholic faith and knowing my true worth and from there seeing that in other people. And then you you, uh, encountered the Culture Project somewhere along the line, right? Yeah, I did. I actually encountered them my sophomore year of college. It was crazy because I spoke to the missionaries there and I was like, wow, this is kind of cool. Like, I would never be a missionary, but if I was, this is what I would do. <laughs> and <you're laughs> and then here, right? yeah, here I am. <laughs> <laughs> On the radio, wow. Claudia, what, what, what about that experience for you? What kind of called you, or I won't say transformed, but led you to this? That's a big step. I mean, you know, yeah. going out and talking to people is just not everybody can do it. Yeah, I remember when I was offered the position over the phone, I accepted it without telling my parents I had even applied, actually. And it was a huge um, step of courage, but I knew I wanted to do it because I often saw the struggles of today's generation when I would go to work, when I would go to school. It was evident that nobody necessarily knew that their life had any meaning or worth, and that I also struggled with the relationships that I had in my life and whether or not they were healthy or not. And I didn't know, like Maddie said, you have to understand that your life has meaning and worth and that you're valuable and that you're worth loving in order for you to be able to go out and love others well. And it all stemmed from our, my relationship with, with God. I, like Andrea, was also a very logical person. I had to know the whys behind everything. Mm-hmm. And so coming to understand my heart and the reason that I was I knew that there was more to life than what the culture was throwing at me, and that also resonated deeply when I heard about the Culture uh, Project's message, is that all of these students know that there's more. They're just wanting, they're waiting to be guided in the right direction. Yeah, Michael, you're kind of the senior guy, right? Uh, You've you've done this a little longer than uh, most. How effective do you you feel it is? I mean, you, you can put that out there, and I'm sure young people have heard this message from other people or encountered it somehow and somewhere, and maybe they've absorbed a little, maybe they've rejected it. Why, why do they listen to you guys? Yeah, that's a good point. And, you know, sometimes it does feel like you're the sower scattering seed and where it lands isn't necessarily up to you, but you know you've been called. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would say that even if sometimes the students have heard a similar message before, uh, when we break it down and try to make it personal and we make it, uh, we bring like, listen, this is what happened to me. This is how God broke into my life and he showed me that these things were not worthy of me. And he showed me that there was actually something better I could say yes to. Once they know that, I think that strikes a nerve because, you know, you can, dispute and talk about uh, different facts you learn about in class or at school. But when someone tells you what happened to them, it's like, how do you yeah. how do you dismiss or just yeah. dispute that? Yep. And it's like, no, Jesus Christ wanted me to live this life of abundant life. And he showed me how. And that led me to the Culture Project. I don't know what's next. I don't know if it's always going to be easy. But I do know that I'm going to have someone nailed there with me and that we're going to take it step by step. So uh, bringing that to the students sometimes really gets through. A lot of times it's just intentional presence with them. Some students, especially those who have struggled with mental health, don't know that someone is just being willing to listen to them. Uh, What I like to say after, especially my sexual integrity talks, or if we have time with the students outside of the talks, is uh, like, 
you've given me the respect of listening to me and hearing my story. Yeah. I'd love to hear yours. Yeah. It's, it's like uh, some young people today don't think anybody's listening to them. Christopher, what, 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 after you give your talks, you know, everybody said you leave at least 15 minutes or more for a Q&A and you might come back. What do the kids say? They go, hey, man, I want to talk to you. Like, what are some of the things that, that, that are really on their minds that might be instructive for people listening here as to what, what's concerning young people today? I would say um, generally, like when I give a sexual integrity talk, the, the boys are very hesitant to ask questions just because they're, I'm sure, they're wondering and afraid of people are going to judge them for the questions they have. Yeah. Because everyone's got something that's leaning on their hearts that's a place of vulnerability. Yeah. And generally just open the door for them to ask them in a place of confidence. So just asking people to like take out a sheet of paper, write down one question, whether it's about anything we've talked about today. Um, it could be anything about me. It could be about your faith life, you know, daily prayer habits, something like that. Just opening the door and... It was actually yesterday. Uh, I wrote my email on the board and just emphasized, guys, that you can send me an email in confidence if you have any question that comes up. Um, I'm happy to answer it and I'm here to serve you. And just hoping to be that big brother that uh, I wished my brothers were able to, yeah. you know, receive me in that because I was too afraid to ask those questions to them. Yeah. yeah. Andrea, can you, can you get that bond of trust in one or two or three sessions? I think so. It, you know, it's just, it's really beautiful to see even the progression of the teens from the beginning of the talk um, towards the end. I know sometimes we walk into a classroom and it's early in the morning and the teens might still be a little a little sleepy, maybe a little hungry. But, you know, just through the way that like we choose to interact with them and just to meet them exactly where they're at, like we're not afraid to sit down and talk with them about, you know, what music are you listening to? Like, oh, I like your necklace. Where did you get it? And just building those little things. Um, there was one time where we started the presentation and a girl raised her hand and she goes, it's Taylor Swift's birthday. I'm like, Taylor Swift, <laughs> amazing. Okay, great. So we opened up in a prayer for everybody present yeah. and um, we prayed for Taylor, for Taylor to come home back to the church. Yeah. Um, and just little things like that, I think really shock students that, you know, we're here to talk to them about the gospel and about how to live virtuous lives, but that we also understand what their everyday lives are like and yeah. that we care about the things that they like. We're talking with members of the Culture Project. And so, ladies, yeah, see, the thing that I observe about younger folks today, and, and we've talked about being married to your, to your screen and your phone and all this sort of thing, everybody just like passes each other and don't even know you're there. People walk around, you know, they make jokes and cartoons about folks looking at their phone, they get hit by, hit by a car or something because they're so enraptured with things. And you mentioned that, Andrea, that you go into a classroom and they're like, whoa, you're talking to me. You're listening to me. Can you crack that thing? Can you, can you pierce that veil? It just seems like they're hungering for some human interaction. Yes, I think technology and social media especially serve nowadays as a Band-Aid for a lot of those interior issues that so many young people are having a really hard time resolving. So um, anytime any negative emotion comes up, they immediately go to their phone for that quick uh, hit of dopamine. And what we, we in the social media 
uh, talk, we actually talk a lot about the dopamine reward cycle and how that works and how it can be incredibly addicting. But there are ways that we can hack it and we give them practicals in the social media presentation. So for instance, like keeping somebody accountable. I I'm a missionary and I still am kept accountable by my teammates. They have a time limit on my phone for how much time I can spend on social media every day and just being intentional about being present to the people around me when I am with them. And knowing that like your heart was made for authentic relationship and we make sure that we give that message out to those students because no pictures, no comments, no time on social media will ever equate to the time spent with somebody in person, getting to know them and their passions and their heart. And there's just nothing more valuable than that. And the students know that, that their hearts were made for that too. And once they receive that message, they are able to then determine how they're going to use it. You see the same thing, Maddie, pretty much, especially in the terms of the social media thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think another thing that really gets them in the social media talk is that we present a series of photos um, that a photographer took. And these were all staged photos. But he purposely photoshopped all of the technology out of these photos. And so we show them to the kids. (laughs) And we're like, okay, guys, like, what's missing in the photos? And they're all like, joy, happiness, color. All the photos are in grayscale. And I'm like, guys, there's no technology in these Uh photos. And they're like, what? What do you mean? And I'm like, look again. And it's just photos of these people who are looking down at their fingertips. And it looks so strange. We automatically place technology in their hands because we're so used to it. And so it really gets them to see the situations that we're missing out on, the people, our everyday lives that we miss because we're looking down at our fingertips. I have to say, it seems to me that the mission you're on and the message that you're giving is a gift. We're talking with members of the Culture Project. And so, Michael, let us know again as we start to wrap things up. Let's, let's say, you know, you're a parent, you're a teacher, you're associated with a parish, a school, a youth group, that sort of thing. What should we be thinking about and doing, whether what you're doing is appropriate for us? And how do you get in touch? And, and how, does that, how does that process start working? Easiest way to reach us is through our website. Um, We have a lot of articles on there that each of the missionaries writes from their own experience. It's not just uh, information that we would share in a talk, but it's also going into topics like diving deep into things like mental health, relationships. What if we are in a relationship, but it's never been expressly defined as a relationship, kind of that situationship? It's like, oh, well, that is something that's a unique situation, but young people are facing it. Uh, So first of all, looking at those articles and resources that you can find on our website uh, and then on our YouTube as well, because we're trying to use social media, redirect it back towards its original purpose, like connecting people in a way that's going to bring more life and be used as uh, kind of a power tool in their life, but making sure that since it's a power tool that you're controlling it and that it's not controlling you. Um, But yes, going to our website, for resources and then also for scheduling because there's a really simple application that people fill out, uh, whether it's a a director of religious education, whether it's a a leader of a confirmation retreat or a school uh, to apply to have the missionaries come to their school. And from there, it's a communication, ongoing conversation. uh, And it's totally free for anyone who's bringing us in. It's a free resource that we offer here in the Diocese of Cleveland. 
and sometimes we'll even travel outside of our diocese. So, Andreas, how long will all of you be here, your your team? And um, you're not full up yet, right? You're not completely booked. If someone's listening and they and they want to go to cultureproject.org and 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 learn more and and get in touch, can you do that? Can you handle it? Yes, absolutely. If anybody um, would like to bring us in, please, like Michael was saying, um, through our website, schedule us. Let us know what dates, um, what times would work best for you. And we would love to work something out with our scheduling team. Um, They're available for you guys. And yeah, we would love to serve. We're here until late May and we'll be back in October. Um, You'll be back? um, Maybe. You you folks personally or, or will your gig be over or how does that work? Each missionary signs up for a year at a time, so okay. school year. Um, so it could be some of us back. It could be new ones back. But there will be uh, missionaries here back in October. Oh, just when I was getting to know you. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you, how do you put it? You don't run out of fresh missionaries? How, how's, that, how's that going? Like the, the pipeline coming up? Yeah. So it's really beautiful to see the way in which the Lord provides new people every year. Luckily this year, we have actually been doing really well with our recruitment. That's what we call it when we recruit new missionaries to join the team. The Lord just sends us people from all of our different encounters, maybe from young adults in the area. Um, We go to the SEEK conference in January where we meet a lot of young adults Mm -hmm. who are interested in the same things we are and who have the calling to mission. And part of it is living in community. That's a concept that uh, has waxed and waned in, in the Catholic Church for centuries. Religious orders who live in community find it I- incredible and absolutely necessary. And when we wrap things up, as, as maybe somebody's listening and said that, you know, I'm, I'm in school right now, and when I get out, maybe this is for me. Christopher, I just wanted you to just say a few words about, about what it's like living in community, the personal lives of a member of the Culture Project. We heard a little bit about this, but for you, so that someone listening can picture this, how, how it might be for them. So the way that I actually think about it is that while we all are brothers and sisters in Christ, I think about our team as a bunch of cousins. So we're all from different families, but we're all geared towards the same goal. So we all come from different backgrounds. We do things a little differently. We think differently. And so, but again, we're all here for the same reason. And so the way that it's kind of set up is so like we have separate quarters for women and men. And so that we live in the same house, um, at least we do here in Cleveland. Mm-hmm. Mike and I are on one side of the convent and the girls are on the other. And then we have shared kitchen, dining, living spaces. We share chores. We'll have meetings just to discuss like layout and groceries and meals and community time and, and stuff like that. All right. Well, uh, I want to thank all of you folks from the Culture Project for being with us. And, uh, Michael, thanks for coming back again. uh, We wish you uh, all success, and we want people to go to cultureproject.org and learn more and um, find out because there are so many – it would just appear from the scope of your work, there are so much work to be done here in in the vineyard among our young people. Yeah, there really is, and the whole – purpose is, you know, we reached over 7,000 young people and parents in the Diocese of Cleveland last year alone. And the whole point is to give them that lifeline. You know, we're not going to be the one who's following them home and, you know, like nagging them, like, this is how you have to live their life. They, at the end of the day, have to say, okay, I'm going to choose this. And we're just one step in that process 
uh, DREs, the teachers, the catechists we've met in the diocese have been absolutely amazing. And we're just so, so grateful to say like that we can add a little bit, uh, kind of a step in, in their journey, and maybe even sometimes multiple steps. Um, yeah, we're really grateful to be here. Well, may God bless your undertakings and, and uh, grant you the increase. All right, thanks for listening to us, everybody, here uh, on our Wisdom from the Rock program. Uh, I'm Dick Russ. Dan Dealey has been our producer today. And we thank you very much for listening. Cultureproject.org, right? The, the, yeah, culture, the, culture the project project dot org. And you'll find the, their Cleveland section. And uh, do what you need to do and, and uh, join us for more of uh, Wisdom from the Rock.